Well, it is a joy to be here today, and uh, as the choir is stepping down, Josh, if you and the students that are going to be speaking, if y'all would come up here. Brother Ed, can we borrow your microphone? Brother Ed, can we use your microphone, please? You know, I want to share with you that this year's summer camp was off the charts. And here in just a second, some of our students are going to share with you just about the power of what God has done during that time. Before we take this time for them to share, let's just go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Lord, in the rush of a Sunday morning, sometimes we forget to just stop and be still and know that you are God. So Lord, this morning, as we come into a time of presenting the Word of God, asking you to take control of our tongue and breathe out the words of the living God. Lord, may we rest in the fact that our God is on the throne, that you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great I am, and there is none like you, as Isaiah says, from the rising of the sun to the going down the same, you are the Lord God. So Lord, this morning as we present the the words of the living God, I pray that each of us will place this in our lives and that we'll walk out of here looking more like Jesus than we came in this morning. Lord, we love you and praise you, for it's in your name. Amen. Josh, if y'all want to share. Last Saturday around 6.30 a.m., a bus full of our students rolled out of this parking lot to arrive six hours north at Lookout Mountain, Georgia, where we would spend the next five days and four nights engaging God through the preaching of his word, singing of his name, and gathering of his people. It was during that time that God showed me, he he took a trip that I thought was going to be just another church trip and turned it to be one of the most memorable experiences that I've had with this group of students yet And I could come up here and I could share with you about what he did, but to paint a more accurate picture of what took place, you're going to hear from three of our students and what God did in their life. And so first we will have Aaron Casalero, the next we will have Chloe Rankin, and then lastly we'll have Michael Williams come and just share a word of what God did in their life. So we'll pass it off to Miss Aaron first. Good morning. Um... I'm still trying to comprehend everything that God did in my life last last week. That was four days ago, but he's still um, working on my heart on what he showed me. There was just so much that he poured in with me, poured into me in the past four days that um, I'm still 
remembering things that he taught me during one time or another. Um, so first, I just want to start out. We start out in Genesis. Um, our main verse was um, second in second Corinthians, but um, we start out in Genesis 3, and it, we talked about the fall of man and how um, even whenever man fell, whenever we sinned, whenever Adam and Eve bait, um, been to that fruit, that God already had a redemption plan. And that was huge to hear for me that, our minds are so temporary that we think of, okay, our life begins whenever we're born and it, and it ends when we die, but we have eternity. And God never had a beginning, which is so hard to grasp that God never even, like, he doesn't have a beginning. Like, if you just think about that, that he never ends and that we will be with him in heaven forever, that's so hard to grasp. And I still can't grasp it because of my temporary mind. But the fact that before we even created, God knew that he had a redemption plan, that he was going to send his son and sacrifice for us was so huge that it's insane. Like, I still can't grasp it that he would do that for us. Um, So he started off just working on my heart there and um, showing me that before, before I loved him, before I gave my life to him, he loved me. And that um, so often we put idols above him, our grades, sports, our children, for some of you, um, that those people would never sacrifice how God did. Those, those things that we love so much that we so often put above God would never give the sacrifice that God gave because they can't. Because God's the only one that can cover our sin. Because God's the only one that that would ever do that for us whenever we, whenever we didn't even know him. He, he was pursuing us. So often we say, oh, I found God. But that's completely wrong. God found us. He was pursuing us and searching us. And um, this week, too, we had an amazing experience. One morning, we stayed up till 3 a.m., which I am not a night person. I go to bed at like 8.30 almost every night. Um, so that was crazy to me. But we stayed up till 3 a.m. I was just talking to these other girls about what was happening in their lives and what God was doing in their lives and what the Holy Spirit was working on, which was so cool to see that God isn't just working on my lives, but everyone's life. And he isn't the kind of God that, okay, let me set up these world. I made these people. Let me back off and just let the clock tick and let them do what they want to do. But he's, he's constantly, constantly pouring into our lives. And God brought every single one of us there for those, for those five days. And sitting the last night in the room hearing, um, all of the people that were there just speak about what God was doing. I was sitting there weeping in God's presence, just knowing how much he loved me, knowing that he put people through these things in their lives so that they could come together and we could experience God in a, ne- a way that we never have before. Um, so I was just sitting there weeping, reading Revelations 21, which is what we ended in, the beginning in Genesis and the end in Revelation of the Bible, just hearing about God's wiping away every tear, but yet he holds together the universe. He cares about us so much to hold every single tear that we cry, but also is holding together the stars and the moon and things that we don't even know about that are out there. So that was so cool to see that God placed those people in my life for those five days, knowing that this just wasn't the ending, but this is the beginning of a new phase of my life where God is pouring into me more, and I'm having more of a desire to learn about him. So that's really what God laid on my life this week, and I hope that sharing this with you will um, let you listen and like just hear the Holy Spirit, how he spoke through me, how he spoke through so many people around me um, just for that. So thank you all for that. One thing that I learned at camp is having a true relationship with Christ. And having a true 
relationship with Christ, it's not just saying, oh, God, I don't want to go to hell. It's actually putting in that work and wanting to know him and wanting to know his glory and his majesty. And some of the things to have a true relationship with Christ is to stand up, put on Christ, and fight. But, of course, since we're human, we're going to fall short of that. But just to sit and think about what God went through on the cross, what all the pain, all the suffering, all the torture he went through. You never realize how awful it is and how much he went through until you read the crucifixion in detail. And once you do, it's just overwhelming. And it's so saddening to see all that stuff that he he went through for us. And yet we still deny him daily. And even though we deny him daily, he still loves us and we're never alone. But we always need to remember that denying him and sinning against him is a gross, grotesque offense against God. And one thing that I realized is that um, we, um, sorry, <laughs> I lost my train of thought. Um, we should really think about, we should really think about what we do because sin, it's not an accident, it's not an oopsie, as Jason Cook said. It's something that we did on purpose, and it's something we really need to think about before we sin. But the great thing about it is even though we do sin, he still redeems us, and he still loves us, and he's always there for us, and we're never alone. So when we were there, our verse was Second Corinthians 5.17, and that tells us to be a new creation, a new creature, our old self is supposed to be dead. And then while we were there, we were discipled in our small groups about, about living for Christ and what it looks like to live for Christ and how that's pleasing to God. It's good for ourselves. And, and it's, there's just like God put on my heart that we don't really realize what, that other people, other people see us too. So, I mean, when we live for Christ, other people are seeing that. And when we don't live for Christ, but we put the name of a Christian on ourselves, that does so much more damage to somebody's life, then it helps us. I mean, if we could be somebody's only example, the only person that they'll ever see. And if they see us acting hypocritically, it could turn them away from the church completely. We could, we could absolutely destroy somebody's chances of getting faith. Um, and I mean, that's just what he really laid on my heart. I mean, living for Christ is not just something for ourselves. It's not something for pleasing God. It's for others too. Um, and then another thing that I was thinking about is this is my last camp. I'm, I'm 18. I'm graduating high school. I really wanted to know, like, how we could keep, keep camp. I mean, like, they say that you can't take camp with you, and that, that's kind of right. You can't take the mountain that we were on. You can't take the isolation. You can't take the atmosphere. You can't take all those, all those wonderful people that were there. But, I mean, the meat of the camp, the, the preaching, the worship, all of our stuff in our small groups, all of our stuff within our church, it's all in here. And we have this with us before camp. We had it with us after camp. It's not going anywhere anytime soon. It never has. So I encourage everybody. To, I mean, they told us it was, it was a, daily, it's a daily struggle against the flesh. And y'all should all keep this close every day, every morning. I really have nothing else to say after that. <laughs> That would pale in comparison. Um, outside of, we went up with 26 students and eight adults, and we came back with 34 stu- students because we were all were learning at that camp. Um, so it was very good. Um, that's all we got, y'all. Thank you for your time and attention. Give them a round of a hand, and then David will take it home. Amen.
Well, it was an incredible week. Uh, I was there for um, some of the days. I wasn't there the whole time. Jason Cook, our speaker, is truly a man of God. Um, 30 years old, had a career in the NFL, and I spoke with him personally, and he said, David, all my life I wanted to catch a, a, a touchdown pass in the NFL, in the league as they call it. And he had that opportunity in front of his hometown and all of his family. He caught a touchdown pass with the Ravens against Atlanta. And he made the comment, he said, the next three minutes after I caught that pass and celebrated with my team, I went over to the sideline. And he said, you know what? I was as empty as I've ever been in my life. And he said it was in that moment that the Lord showed him that he was going to be a preacher. And he said he gave up, he turned away from, from it all. And now he is sharing the word of God, the gospel, and taking it, uh, I mean, the, all over the nation. And it has just been incredible how God has used him in such a mighty, mighty way. While we were at camp, Jason Cook made one comment that I've heard a hundred times. And all of a sudden, as he said it, the Holy Spirit just like dropped some stuff on me and began to prepare this message even today. And he made a comment that, that, one of, uh, that Michael kind of shared, didn't actually say the comment, but he, he shared about it. And he said this, that when you are in a dog fight, two dogs, when they're fighting, which one will win? And it's always the one that you feed. The one that you feed will always win. So as I sat there and I dwelt on camp, and listen, I have gone to summer camps for the past 10 plus years with youth ministry. So this is not my first rodeo and seeing just incredible speakers. Y'all have had Ed Newton here, and we've gone and saw him several times. Um, uh, maybe someday you'll get to hear some of the others. But I've heard incredible preaching. I've sat under incredible musicians. Ed, Aaron Keyes, one of the most anointed, second to Brother Ed Keyes and not related, but one of the most anointed men that I know. I mean, we've sat under these. And as he speaks this, the Lord just, I said, God, why is it that when we come back from camp, within literally two weeks or so, everybody is back to where they were? But let's not just talk about camp for a second and let's just ask in our own lives, why is it that by Monday we're right back where we were after an incredible word from the Lord on Sunday? Or maybe you've had the mountaintop experience and listen, we were on Lookout Mountain. It's a literal mountaintop experience in July with no humidity. Some of y'all are like, I'm, I'm moving. <laughs> Brother Fred, I thought about changing my letter to Lookout Mountain, Georgia. Or Tennessee, I don't know which one we were in. But the Lord spoke to me in that one word that Jason Cook said. He said, which dog you feed is the dog that will win. Now the two dogs in this play is the spirit and the flesh. So here's what I realized. The Lord just spoke to me. He said, David, do you realize that when you go to camp, the leader of the camp, the leader of YM360, named Roger Davis, incredible man of God. Jason Cook, the speaker, the band, the youth leaders, Josh, and other leaders that were there. We do everything we can to chain up the dog of the flesh. So the entire week that the kids are there listening to the word of God, 
they only have, in some cases, one thing to be poured into, and that's the Holy Spirit. Because we do everything we can to fight off the flesh. Now, how do we do that? We remove a lot of the things that are distracting in their lives. When we went to camp, none of them watched TV because there was none available. When we go to camp, they're very seldom on their phones because we know it's a distraction. When you go to camp, you're removed from some of the friendships and things that may be a, dis- a hindrance or a distraction. Maybe your girlfriend, boyfriend, all these different things. And you go and you're away from all these things. And the reason that it's such a struggle when you come back from camp is because all these people who have been fighting back the flesh for you can't do it anymore for you. So you come back from camp and all of a sudden you're in a dogfight. When you leave church on Sunday morning, you step out of here and you're in a fight. When you leave the, 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 the seminar or, or, or time of incredible teaching and the Word of God being poured over, you step out and you're in a fight. And let me just tell you something. Some of us don't realize we're in a fight and so therefore you're already losing. So as I just said, Lord, just, just develop, like pour, like God, I had a whole other message to preach. But when that was spoken, and as the Lord began to just, just my heart was leaping like crazy. I said, okay, I just got to pin this stuff down. And believe it or not, the Lord took me to 2 Chronicles, chapter 32. As we flip to 2 Chronicles 32, I may have to give you a few extra minutes to get there. I want to share with you my life verse. I promised the Lord I'd always speak it. It says, my preaching, my message and preaching are not in persuasive words of wisdom, but demonstration on the power of the Spirit and the power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. And so today, may it be the breath of God. May I go sit on the front row and watch what God does today. I heard a pastor say, and I have tried so hard to do that this week, that I will pray to be emptied, Read to be full and be myself when I preach, but not preach myself. And so this week, I have read and I have read and I have read, but this is what I've read. And so all I have today to do is to give you the Word of God. In 2 Chronicles chapter 32, I actually want to skip back two verses to verse 20 and 21 of 31. It says, thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah. And he did what was good, right, true before the Lord his God. Every work which he began in his service of the house of God and the law and commandment, seeking his God, he did with all of his heart and prospered. Let me just give you a real quick understanding. If you go back the, the, the two chapters before this, you see about Hezekiah's life. And what he has done before this moment is, is that he's pulled down some of the false altars. And he's bringing the people back to the Lord. He even says that all this stuff that's coming against you, it will stop if you will just turn to God. They're on a mountaintop experience. They are literally on the mountaintop seeing God move in a mighty way. And it says in verse 21 of chapter 31, it says, Seeking his God, he did with all his heart and he prospered. I'd venture to say when kids come home from camp, they are serving God with all their heart and God is doing a mighty work in their life, just as we see in Hezekiah. Chapter 32. 
After these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and besieged the fortified cities and thought to break into them for himself. Now when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that he intended to make war on Jerusalem, he decided with his officers and his warriors to cut off the supply of water from the springs which were outside the city. And they helped him. So many people assembled, stopped up the springs and the streams which flowed through the region, saying, Why should the king of Assyria come and find abundant water? And he took courage and he rebuilt all the walls that had been broken down and erected towers on it. And he built another outside the wall, strengthened the milo of the city of David, and made weapons and shields in great numbers. He appointed military officers and the people and gathered them to him in the square at the city gate. And he spoke encouragingly to them and saying, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed because of the king of Assyria, nor because of the horde that is with him. For the one who is with us is greater than the one who is with him. With him is only an arm of the flesh, but with us... Is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles? And the people relied on the word of Hezekiah, the king of Judah. And after we had read the word and the scripture at youth camp, our pastor said, this is the word of God for the people of God. And what do you all say, students? Praise be to God. Maybe you all were listening, maybe not. Now, I want to just tell you that as I studied this scripture, the Lord gave me seven quick points. Some of y'all are amen in the quick. Some of y'all just had a mild heart attack. It's okay. I was instructed that last week, Brother Fred informed you that I'd be out on time, if y'all remember that from last week. The first thing I want you to see is to understand the battle is real. First thing I want you to see is that the battle is real. Coming off of a mountaintop experience, Hezekiah has been replacing the things of of old with the the new. He's removing the old things and and the, the, the things of pagan worship. He has now told everybody that we need to worship the Lord God and Him only. And all of a sudden, the king of Assyria decides that he's going to come and fight against them. Let me just tell you, students, and for each person in this room, the battle is real between the flesh and the spirit. Many of us have maybe even bought a a lie that says that when you get saved, nothing bad will happen to you. It will be hunky-dory. I don't really know what hunky-dory means, but I've always heard it in reference to an easy life. You may have heard that, you know, hey, when I believe in Jesus and I accept him, then everything's going to be okay and I won't have to worry about anything. That's called the prosperity gospel. And let me just tell you something, that is totally false according to this word of God. Mountaintop experience did not remove Hezekiah from being subject to a battle. Mountaintop experience Let me tell you something, when you come off the mountaintop, it says in Scripture that Satan is prowling like a lion ready to devour. He is waiting at the bottom of Lookout Mountain, Georgia for you students. Seeking for those whom he can devour. To those here at the congregation, he's waiting for you outside that door. And let's just be real. 
He could be waiting for you right in here. He could be trying to distract you right now. Understand that the fight is real. Galatians chapter 5 verse 17 says this, For the flesh sets its desires against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. It says right there in Galatians that the flesh and the spirit are at battle. In Romans chapter 7, and, and, and you can just jot that down. Uh, we're not going to go through it all. But Paul says, the things that I don't want to do, I do. And the things that I do, I don't want to do. He says, I'm in a constant battle every day. And so the first thing that we have to do is understand that the battle is real. If we walk off the mountain and we come down here, students, and we say, you know what, I've got enough Jesus and and, and I'm just going to walk down and I don't have to get in the Word and I don't have to continue to abide in Him and I don't have to trust, I just, I I got enough over here to last me for a whole year, you're going to find yourself stumbling very quickly. Let me just remind you that manna after a day turned into worms. Now, I'm not saying that the word of God that you got at camp is going to turn into worms, but what I'm going to tell you is that you need to go and find fresh manna every day. You need to be in the word of God every day. Number one, the battle is real. Number two, how do we feed the, fl- uh, the spirit? We abide. Now, I want to stay on this point for just a few minutes. Obviously, we're going to be in John chapter 15, 1 through 11. If you have your scriptures, put your little ribbon in 2 Chronicles, and I want you to flip over to John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. And listen, we could sit here and we could teach on John 15, 1 through 11 for literally the next three weeks and never go home. It's that powerful. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. If you feel comfortable underlining your Bible, underline that, that you cannot bear fruit unless you abide in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. And I love verse 5. This is the one many of you have memorized. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. I am the vine, you are the branches. Go to verse 6 for me. In verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire as they burn. If you abide in me, my word abides in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abided in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that your joy may be in you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Go back to verse 5 for me, Stephen. Uh, And I want to just kind of use a prop here, if y'all don't mind. Uh, I'm going to walk over here. This morning, I took a moment... And uh, we have a blueberry bush out in our backyard. 
uh, to be honest with you, don't ask me for blueberries because we don't get that many from it. Uh, about five to be exact. <laughs> my, my wife and I are not good at growing things. We're, we're good at killing things. Um, and, uh, but we're not good at growing things. But this morning, literally, I took this blueberry bush branch off the bush. And what I realized is now that it is no longer part of the bush, it will never grow a blueberry again. Because it will not have the source, the nutrition that it needs. So let me just ask you this question. The battle is real between the spirit and the flesh. And so my question to you is this, is are you simply a branch that has no source? Or are you connected to the vine? You say, David, how do I become connected to the vine? Well, the scripture says to abide in me. Abide in Christ. To be connected to, to come alongside, to be right there with Christ. What does the word of God tell us? But the word of God tells us that for us to abide in him means that we know him. The word became flesh. How do we get to know the Lord? By studying the word of God, by diving in the word, by praying, by seeking him. But also by walking in obedience of what he's called us to do. Now, when you literally are getting to know God, you can't abide in somebody that you don't know. If you don't know God, how are you going to abide in Him? If you're not studying the Word to get to know the Lord, then how will you ever abide in Him, which ultimately leads to obedience? So my question is, how do we begin to feed the dog of the flesh, so to say, in a dog fight, is that we get to know the Lord intimately. We begin to trust Him. We begin to say that what God has called me to do, I'm going to do, which ultimately starts with giving of our life. Let me use this as an example. This cup right here, we're going to call this the Holy Spirit. This is not a cup. This is a pitcher. But this is a cup and it's full of water. This is our life. For us to abide in Christ means that we must be filled by the Holy Spirit. Here's the problem, though. If I start to fill this cup, it's already full. Which means that we cannot continue to fill this cup with something, if it's already full, that it can't take anymore. And so what we're going to realize is, is that for us to abide in Christ means that we must come to God with nothing. We must say, okay, Lord, I'm empty. I'm laying my life down, and I'm not going to bring, like, like me plus a few other things. I'm going to say, God, all I want is you. You're my only thing. Because when you become empty, then the Lord can fill you. And I just spit water everywhere. Hey, overflowing, right? 
But when you become empty and you say, God, I'm not going to bring anything else. When you come down that moment of camp, when you walk out of this door, I pray that we have truly said, search me and know me, O Lord, Psalms 139, and said, show me anything in my life so that I will empty every bit of my life. Why? So that God can fill me. So when I abide in him, what will come forth when I walk in his obedience, when I trust him, when I give him everything about my life, what will come forth? This right here will be grafted back on to the vine and it will produce fruit so let's just be real for a moment it says we can't produce fruit without abiding in christ what type of fruit is it galatians chapter 5 right the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control that's the fruit of the spirit so let me just challenge you with something Instead of us saying, I'm going to practice patience, or I'm going to practice gentleness, maybe what we need to practice is emptying ourselves, Removing the flesh. Because let me tell you something, I can't produce patience in my life. It's a fruit of the Spirit. What I can do, though, is that I can get myself to a place where I'm abiding in the King, and the Scripture gives us and tells us in John 15 that when we abide in Christ, you will produce fruit. So we know that if we're emptying ourselves and we're laying down and crucifying our flesh and we're abiding in Christ, we're going to see the fruit of the Spirit come forth. I can't tell you how how amazing that was to me when I first realized this several years ago that I need to quit trying to produce patience in my life. And instead, I need to empty myself and be filled by the Spirit. I would go in to a store and I'd find the longest line and I'd say, I'm going to practice patience today. (laughs) Can I just tell you that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard? (laughs) You know, the Scripture says don't waste time. We are a steward of time. So the last thing I need to do is go find the longest line to wait in. And then I'm sitting there making it. I'm like, ah! But what I need to do is wake up every morning and daily crucify myself, the flesh, the, the, the flesh dog that's coming after me. Listen, it's going to come after. It comes after me. It comes after Brother Fred. It comes after Josh. It comes after Brother Kerry. It comes after all the pastors on staff. And guess what? It's going to come after you today. For some of you... Let me just say, for all of you, it's already come after you today. So we must abide. Point number three I want you to see is we must starve the flesh. We must starve the flesh. Let's go back to 2 Chronicles chapter 32. It says, now when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that he had intended to make war on Jerusalem, he decided with his officers and warriors to cut off the supply of water from the springs which were outside the city, and they helped him. So many assembled and stopped up the springs and the streams which flowed through the region, saying, why should the king of Assyria come and find abundant water? Hezekiah, abiding in God, stopped up the streams. Hey, let's just be real. In the book of James, it says, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. And I have a bad feeling that some of us say, God, I want you to remove this this thorn in my flesh. I want you to remove this stronghold out of my life, but aren't willing to stop up the stream. 
Hezekiah stops up the stream so that the enemy could not drink. Ultimately, it was a sign of keeping them from being able to to continue forward in their pursuit of Judah. Let me give you an example. I can't tell you how many times people today, because it's so accessible, it's one click away, but I can't tell you how many times people, young people, um, older, young, it don't matter the age anymore, are struggling with pornography. And they will come and say, David, I want to get rid of this. Statistically, it's scary how many people are struggling with it. And they say, David, I want to get rid of this. Like, I mean this. Like, I want to walk with the Lord. I want to abide with Christ. And I said, okay, first off, we know who fights our battle. We know who's with us. We're going to trust the Lord. We're going to seek Him. But let me ask you this question. How are you accessing it? How, are you, how is it accessible to you? And a lot of times they'll say, my phone or my computer. If it's a younger person, it's their phone. If it's an older person, it's usually the computer. And I say, okay. Let's stop up the stream. Let's get rid of the computer. What? Well, I I can't live my life without a computer, David. You don't understand. Or a young person said, you mean to tell me I can't have an iPhone? You mean to tell me that I got to get rid of data on my phone? What I'm telling you is, is that you obviously have not been able to stand firm So why not remove that and stop up the stream in your life to protect you from that? And I mean, literally, 90 plus percent have said, I I don't know if I can do that. And I said, then you really don't want it that bad. You really don't want to stop up the stream. You you just want to just continue to say, oh, I tried. I tried real hard, but I failed, David. Next week, I tried so hard, but I failed. And I would say, you didn't try hard enough if you're not going to stop up the stream. You know, if somebody is an alcoholic and they've been delivered, outside of having a rhema word from the Lord, why in the world would you go to a bar or any other place where alcohol is going to be present to continue to tempt you? Stop up the stream. And let's just... Let's just look at it this way. We don't get to choose our temptations. And what I mean by that is is that the evil one tempts us, and 90% of the time we don't even realize all of a sudden we're tempted. Just all of a sudden, boom, tempted, tempted, tempted. Here comes a thought. Here comes this, temptation, left and right. I mean, for me, I have an addicting personality. If I see the lights of an arcade, I could spend $100 in that arcade. And I'm like, it's for my kids. No, it's not. <laughs> my daughter's like throwing one ski ball and I'm throwing the other six. Sorry, you're not good enough, babe. I'm going to have to take over. Look at all the tickets we got. It sounds so silly, but for me, it's true. I have an addicting personality. Whenever I see that, I'm like, like whoa. God's called me to go in there and share the gospel with somebody next to the ski ball machine. And I have to stay away from places like that. Because financially, that's not smart. We must be willing to stop up the stream. Now, let me just go back to that. We don't get to necessarily choose our temptations, but, but we do choose sometimes to put ourselves in places where we're tempted. And let me tell you something. You have the ability to say no to that. Why even be there in the first place? 
And listen, the evil one will sit there and say, oh, well, you're taking all the fun. You can't go do this and you can't go do that. Let me just tell you something. Serving my God is a whole lot better than any pleasure that this world could ever bring me. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Sin does nothing more than destroy and kill you. And my Father, my Heavenly Father, gave His life that we may have life. Will you stop up the stream? Another way to stop up the stream is to have accountability. Have an accountability partner. Have somebody to keep you accountable. And not just somebody, and let me just, this is not my notes, I'm going to have to go quickly here to make sure we finish in time. But, one of the things that I see with young people, and I don't know if, if I see this that often but uh, with people over 18, but one of the things I always see is people want to keep each other accountable who are dealing with the same thing. And that's not healthy. Let me tell you why. Because when one struggles, the other one says, oh, it's okay because I did too. Oh, we're all good. Okay, we both struggled. Yay. But you need somebody who's keeping you accountable who has seen victory in that area. Not somebody walking through the same area because y'all are both going to just end up turning into your own buddies doing sin together. So we must stop up the stream. Are you willing to truly stop up the stream? The fourth thing I want you to see, and I love this, know who fights for you. Know who fights for you. You're sitting there and you say, David, I can't stop up the stream. David, I can't say no. Like, David, I'm trying so hard and I'm trying to abide in him. You've got to get to the point where you know that God is the one who fights for you. It says right here in verse 7, it says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed because of the king of Assyria, nor because of the horde that is with him or the, the large portion of people who are coming. For the one who is with us is greater than the one who is with him. With him is only the arm of the flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. In Exodus chapter 14, 13 and 14, many of y'all have this scripture memorized. Moses says this, but Moses says to the people, do not fear Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see again forever. And then verse 14, the Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Maybe one of the issues that we're having when we come back from camp and we find ourselves struggling, we come off the mountaintop, we find ourselves struggling with the flesh, is that we're trying to do it on our own. Back when I struggled with legalism and when I struggled with just all this like man-made religion in college, I struggled with it bad. Some of y'all know my testimony, some of you may not. And I would fight one area and I'd get it right. And all these other areas would fall apart. So I'd run over here. Some of y'all thought I was going to fall. I'd run over here and I'd fight this area and I'd get it right. But that area I just got right, guess what happened? Fell apart. And I went back and forth. Back and forth till finally I said, I just can't do this anymore. You know why? I couldn't do it. I had to get to the point where I realized that God fights my battles. And let me just tell you something. Not only does God fight our battles, he's already won. I've read the end of the book. It is finished. As Jesus proclaimed, it is finished. Death and hell 
you have no sting no more. We'll get to that in a second. I just got ahead. The next point I want you to see is quit believing the lie of the enemy. Don't believe the enemy. Some of y'all have already begun to believe the lie of the enemy. You can't do it. You can't make it. Guess what? You can't do it. You can't make it. But praise God, he can. Let's see what it says right here. I stopped earlier, but I want to keep going. In verse 9, it says, After this, um, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, sent his servant to Jerusalem, and while he was besieging uh, Lachish with all of his forces with him against Hezekiah, king of Judea, and against all Judea who were in Jerusalem, saying, Thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria, On what are you trusting that you remain in Jerusalem under siege? Is not Hezekiah misleading you to give yourself over to die by hunger and by thirst? The Lord, our, the Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria. Has not the same Hezekiah taken away his high places, his altars, and said to Judah and J- Jerusalem, you shall worship before one altar? He begins to say, hey, you, you can't do it. You're not going to be able to defeat me. Skip down to verse 16. His servant spoke further against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. He also wrote letters to insult the Lord God of Israel and to speak against him, saying, As the gods of the nation of the lands have not delivered their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. All of a sudden, the king of Assyria sends people and starts just spreading lies. Let me just remind you that the enemy that we fight against, it says in John chapter 8, it says he's the father, in verse 44, he's the father of all lies. It says you are the father of the, of the, the devil, and you are, of, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and a father of all lies. Listen, if you have two forces going after each other and one's sitting there giving you lies and one's giving you truth, who are you going to believe today? Because I have a feeling that too many of us have believed the lie of the enemy. We've allowed the king of Assyria to step in and say, you can't do it. Your God will never be able to to take us on. We've defeated all other gods. Why can't we beat you? And for some of us, we believe the lie of the enemy that you'll never make it, that you can't do it. When I trained for the Ironman two and a half years ago, Part of the training was for me to obviously get my body to be able to go 140 miles in 17 hours, right? But a lot of the training wasn't just about the physical side of it as much as the belief. I had to get to a point that when the course threw obstacles at me, that I had enough belief in my training that I could make it to the finish line. And let me just tell you something. The course threw a lot of stuff at me. 100 degree heat index. It threw all these different things. Scorching sun and, 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 and not fueling my body correctly. And, and going up and down mountain or hillsides and all these different things. And I got to a place where I had to make a decision. Do I truly have the belief? Am I going to believe all the things that I've been poured into? Or am I going to believe what it's saying right now? 
And that goes back to abiding. If you're abiding in Christ, then you're going to believe the truth of, of the Word of God. If you're studying the Word of God, then when you find yourself in a trial or temptation or a fight, you're going to be able to stand on the true Word, the foundation of God. But if you're not studying to count yourself approved, when you get into that dogfight, guess who you're going to believe? Eve did it. Oh, don't worry, you won't die. Don't worry. Eve did it. And we do it all the time. The sixth point I, point I want you to see is watch God show up and show off. I thought about changing that, but I sure like that point. Watch God show up and show off. You know what? He showed up and he showed off at camp. And it was amazing. What do we see here in the scripture? In verse 20, But King Hezekiah and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amaz, Amaz, prayed about this and cried out to heaven, and the Lord sent an angel who destroyed every mighty warrior, commander and officer in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned in shame to his own land, and when he entered the temple of his little G God, some of his own children killed him there with a sword. Let me just tell you something. God showed up and he showed off. He said, I'm the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Let me just remind you that God also showed up at the Red Sea crossing when they couldn't get across the Red Sea and the nation of, of, of Egypt is coming after them. Just remember, Moses has just said, you won't be in captivity anymore, but they were struggling. They didn't know what to do. All of a sudden, Moses stretched out his hands and all of a sudden, just like here, Luke 4.18, they're parted and they walked through on dry land. Let me just remind you that Elijah also saw at Mount Carmel that when they were going back and forth building their temple or building their, 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 their altars and he's, they said that he's going to come and all this stuff that, that they were believing in Baal and Asher and all of a sudden he said, God, today let them know who the true God is and the fire rained down on that altar. God's the one who fought the battle and he showed up. Let me just remind you of one other thing. God showed up for you and I. It's called Calvary. And though we didn't deserve it, and though we could do nothing, we were dead. All we deserved was hell. But Jesus showed up, and he showed off on that cross as the blood ran, and he took our forgiveness three days later. Let me just tell you something. The tomb is empty. Amen. Let me just remind you of a scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 54 through 57. It says, but when the perishables will have put on the imperishable, the mortals will have put on the immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gave us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God showed up at Calvary and fought the battle for each of us so that when we get into the battle, first off, He saved us from death to life, but when we get in the battle between the flesh, He's there to fight for us and He shows up and shows off every time that you'll abide in Him. Every time. One other scripture I want you to see on this. I love it. Revelation 
Chapter 12, 10 and 11, many of y'all know this. And they heard a loud voice in the heavens saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren has thrown down, and he who accuses them before God day and night. Verse 11, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and because the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. You know what that scripture is saying? The only reason we have a testimony is because of Jesus Christ. The only reason we have a testimony of salvation in our life is because of the blood of the Lamb. And what that scripture is saying is that Jesus Christ fought the battle for you on Calvary and it is finished. It's time for us to rest in the fact that God shows up and shows off every time. And let me just tell you something. You, each of us in this room, students, you need to go home today and you need to journal when God does a mighty work in your life. You want to know why? So that when you get into the valleys of life and the struggles and, and the trials and all these different things and you're saying, God, I don't know where you are. God, I, I just don't, I, you're just not showing up. Then you can flip open that journal and you can read and you can say, God has showed up for me every time. And he has not changed. He will come through. Journaling is not just for girls. It's for all of us. And when God moves in your life, you need to journal that down and write it down so that you can continue to remember what God has done. And the last thing I want you to see, point number seven, is this. We are in a continual battle a continual battle so it says over in verse 24 no god showed up he showed off and and all of a sudden uh the king of assyria they've been destroyed verse 24 in those days hezekiah became mortally ill and he prayed to god and the lord spoke to him and gave him a sign verse 25 but hezekiah gave no return for the benefit he received because his heart was proud and therefore the wrath came on him and on judah and jerusalem then it says in verse 26, however, Hezekiah humbled the pride in his heart. But what I want you to see here is all of a sudden, Hezekiah has seen a powerful movement of God, and then he walks into pride. Let me just tell you something. The continual battle will happen every day until you either breathe your last or until God splits the sky wide open. And if you're sitting there saying, oh, I conquered a battle, I made it. And you're just so excited. Look, I made it. And you're forgetting that, hey, you better be ready. Because he's right there. I hate to tell you this, but it's true and it's the word of God. And that this battle and this fight is going to go on every day. And as soon as you say, oh, I I want it, it's over. He's right there knocking on your door. At the Cannacook Institute where I went to school, One of our professors said that as soon as you say that you've conquered it and that you don't have to worry about that, Satan is right there on your doorstep walking in. We must always be on alert, sober-minded, ready to fight at all times. So let me just share with you a few practical things real quickly and then we're going to be done. In in, in number seven uh, on continually battling, just remember he already fell back into trusting on himself. Instead of trusting God, he trusts himself. That's what pride is. You trust that you can take care of it, that you can do it. You begin to put more value in your own stock than you do in God's. 
But let me just give you some practical things here. The battle is going to be there every day. God placed body of believers called the church for a purpose. It's to bring glory to his name by fruit coming forth from our life, John 15, because we're abiding in him. But he also created it for us to have fellowship with one another, to come alongside of each other, to push each other further, and to run for the kingdom of God. Too often we get in silos on our own and we're like, I got this. And we don't want to get involved and we don't want to become close with people because we're afraid of our wounds and our scars. And God's saying and he's telling us, hey, Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says they, they, they grew in fellowship in studying the word of God and, and prayer. Right? It says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to breaking bread and to pray. So let me ask you, are you abiding in Christ? You know, just as I said, are you willing to stop up the streams? Are you willing to go and, and, and cut off what the evil one is bringing toward, coming after you? Will you also realize the importance of plugging in and coming alongside in a body of believers? I do not believe that a church is a place for people just to sit on a pew. I don't believe in pew huggers. What I believe is that God has called us to come here together and to come and fight the battle together of the flesh that's coming after us every day. Amen. Some of us want to see it as our culture, and that is part of the flesh. But we have individual battles that we're fighting every day. It's called temptation. And God's called us to come together as a body of believers. So, let me just recap. The battle is real. Abide in Him. Starve the flesh. Know that God is fighting for you. Don't believe the lie of the enemy. And watch God show up and show off. And be prepared. The continual battle. So where are you today? Are you abiding in Him? Some of you are starting all the way back at point one. I didn't even realize I was in a fight. Hey, at camp, we do everything we can to hold back that flesh dog. But let me tell you something. He's loose. And he's coming after you, students. To the congregation, he's loose and he's coming after you. That's scriptural. All the way till we breathe our last. But as we stand, as we stand firm, as Ephesians 6 says, against the flesh and the devil... And as we fight the flesh and people see that we're willing to lay down our life and crucify the flesh so that we may be filled by the Spirit, and as they see the hope that's in us, you're going to be the greatest testimony and evangelist that Mobile's had to offer. Simply out of your life, fighting the flesh and giving glory to the King.